Chapter Seventeen of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. Then he had thought to tell her immediately of that glad new life of his, which flowed in upon his soul even before physical strength came to him, determining him henceforth to live for God. He was sure that the news would be received joyfully for in the years gone by miriam had often spoken an earnest little word to him that he had always warded off sometimes with tender merriment sometimes with a sentimental half-promise forgotten almost as soon as made miriam had been far ahead of him in those days he had a glad surprise for her there need be no divided lives for them there should be on this subject as on all others of importance oneness of thought and purpose but there was no opportunity for these revelations john brownlee's carriage interrupted them and it was followed closely by another carriage with four occupants oh dear said miriam we are going to have calls i feared it this moonlight is so enticing to-night that i felt sure we would be used as an excuse for a drive who can it be is not that your sister margaret's voice replying to auntie yes said david rising margaret is on the front seat with mr masters i do not recognize the others we shall have no opportunity for further talk to-night miriam no she answered with a little sigh that ended in a laugh that sounds hospitable does it not i do not always feel so averse to seeing my friends but i am sure there is no hope for us people make such long calls in the country never mind dear the years will be filled with evenings just for us with the glow of that last word in his heart he went down to assist the ladies oh david said john brownlee springing to the ground and grasping david's hand in one of his while with the other he held the reins take care john said his mother selma doesn't like such treatment as that look after your horse david will wait i have been in such haste to see you said john selma is all right mother she knows her master david when did you get home i have been down twice to see you i am impatient for a talk with you and his mother wants a talk with you before john has a chance said mrs brownlee as they stood waiting for the other carriage while john led selma out of the way you are so much older than my dear boy mr holman and have so much influence over him that i look to you to study his impulses if he should wander off in the direction in which he is just now tempted i think it would break his mother's heart he is an enthusiast you know naturally and being so young it is not strange that enthusiasm should mislead him he sadly needs a father's counsel but the help of an older brother, who is wise and well-poised, would be an immense relief. He looks upon you almost as a brother. I know you will try to help me, David, and not indulge him in fancies that are offensive to his mother. I am sorry that I have not opportunity to speak plainer, but perhaps I have said enough to put you on your guard. And as David turned to help his sister Margaret from the carriage, he felt that he understood Mrs. Brownlee very well indeed you here said margaret francis ought to have come and we could have had a family gathering 
the others were introduced as miss masters and her friend mr compton the piazza was deserted no better place could be found for two but to a gay company of half a dozen the brightly lighted parlor offered greater attractions to the merry conversation which at once began david holman found himself listening curiously almost wonderingly how gay they were what utter nonsense they talked life had for years been such a serious matter to him the days all tinged with the reasonable probability that each might be the last of earth that he had to a degree forgotten how full of triviality is the average social talk his sister margaret seemed to be in her element the gayest of the gay he could not but note that she used a half-mocking tone in speaking to him as though he lived outside the circle to which she belonged was of another world than theirs indeed the entire party appeared to look upon him as one who could be expected only to tolerate their fun not join in it yet they admitted miriam with glee at once into the centre of their talk as he listened and tried occasionally to join david wondered if their estimate were not correct and he was indeed an outsider he had not kept himself posted as to the doings of the social world but he had not supposed that his sister margaret knew much about that world if her knowledge came through felix masters she must have been an apt pupil she seemed to be quite at home upon all topics that came up for discussion and indeed often led the conversation of course miriam was at home in all society matters he must expect that her life had been such as to make it a necessity it did not however follow that such a life was to her taste now that she had admitted him to the first place in her heart many things would be different he listened critically to every word she spoke and made constant allowances for any that jarred and assured himself that she did not seem as worldly after all as did his sister who had been shielded all her life it became increasingly evident that margaret was indeed learning to see with mr masters's eyes and to think his thoughts presently david became keenly alive to the fact that the conversation had drifted to the one topic which he had hoped would not be touched that night he felt how utterly out of control with the subject this company would be and he shrank from having miriam hear more concerning it until he could have opportunity to set matters before her in their true light he would not admit to himself that he dreaded to hear words from her lips that would jar upon his sensitive nerves yet apparently no instinct told her from what he shrank it was she who replied to mr masters's question as to whether they had heard of the latest sensation indeed we have you need not think we live out of the world because we are on a hilltop do you mean the mammoth picnic how many people participated in it to-day the last i heard it was six or eight thousand but it was said that some had it at fifty thousand isn't it astonishing how those stories increase in magnitude oh no said mr masters not at all strange history is simply repeating itself there have been gaping crowds swarming after something new with open eyes and mouths ever since the world was peopled and exaggeration was ever their trademark how light and sweet miriam's laugh was 
open mouths is a phrase that exactly fits the situation mr masters was it used advisedly who would not open his mouth wide to be fed in so mysterious a manner it is far superior to the way poor birds get their living i am sure pray enlighten us said mr compton i do not think that miss masters and i have the slightest idea about what you are talking have there been any remarkable demonstrations in the line of picnics lately oh i have heard about the picnic said miss masters with a gay little laugh felix tries to keep me informed but i pay very little attention to these matters i shall have to confess that i never was deeply interested in the common people they have always some craze or other to excite them i do not understand why so many comparatively respectable people interest themselves in this strange man and his performances why don't they let the rabble have peaceable possession of him and enjoy their nine days wonder as they have before because this is a very different excitement from the ordinary said felix masters and his face was dark and frowning the man is very keen he is a close observer a student of human nature and in a certain sense wise long-headed unless i am greatly mistaken we shall have reason to regret that we allowed him to get such a hold upon the rabble before taking the matter in hand i insist upon hearing about the picnic said mr compton in the tone of one who felt that the conversation might be growing too serious miss masters and i extended our ride this morning beyond the limits of civilization and nearly starved before we reached a point where we could obtain refreshments so we are in sympathy with the starving multitude if such they were and in a condition to appreciate deliverance if such they had give us the story please miss brownlee i said miriam gaily oh it should be someone who has more dramatic talent than i do you know about it margaret you will be just the one to describe the scene margaret shook her head i live in the back woods she said and david has been away from home i do not hear of wonders until afterwards what is it that has happened why the story goes began miriam that the other day the rabble which is mr masters's name for them not mine followed their mysterious leader to an out-of-the-way place and persisted in keeping him company all day what he did to hold their attention i am sure i don't know talked one of them said told them wonderful things imagine a man talking wonderful things to that class of people however it was what with the delights of the country and the pleasure of escaping work all day with the talk thrown in they contrived to stay dinnerless and as the day drew near its close apparently supperless some compassionate creature began to wonder what was to become of them before they reached home in truth the probability was i suppose that the most of them would not find much to eat when they did get home that class of people are not specially provident at any time the passing moment seems to be all that they think about they are very much like the other class of society in that respect laughed mrs brownlee i have noticed that you young people generally arrange for the present hour without regard to the effect it will have upon to-morrow miriam gave her aunt's hand a loving little admonitory pat as she said now auntie please don't moralize this story has no moral it is for entertainment and i want to finish it 
where was i oh they were hungry all those people thousands of them a hundred thousand if you choose numbers seem not to have made any difference the only provident one among them seems to have been a little fellow who had half a dozen rolls and a dried fish or two he planned systematically you see for a day's pleasuring and took his lunch with him like a sensible boy now comes the remarkable part of the story that little fellow's lunch was seized upon or he was petitioned to present it i am not up on the details by some management the rolls were placed in the hands of this wonderful teacher or preacher or whatever name should be his and what did he do but divide them into twelve portions and give them out to his satellites with orders to pass them around the crowd bursts of laughter followed and miriam apparently stimulated thereby went on briskly oh you needn't laugh cheering would be more appropriate i want you to understand that every man woman and child was fed from those rolls more than that they gathered up i won't pretend to say how many baskets full of food when the meal was over the laughter that followed was hilarious when mr compton could be heard he asked but do the people really believe such stories how is it possible for even their credulity to be equal to such a strain standing a little in the shadow near the mantel with his arm resting upon it was john brownlee he had not joined in the conversation and no one unless it may have been his mother was noticing him she may have observed that he did not smile through the recital and that there was an ominous flash in his bright brown eyes suddenly he dashed into the conversation by a question excuse me sir but just what do you mean by their credulity had you been one of the rabble on that day if you will allow me to ask you to stretch your imagination to such a degree would you consider yourself open to the charge of credulity because you believed what you saw and experienced mr compton turned toward him graciously condescension in voice and manner i might not understand the word my dear young friend but i think you would be perfectly justified in making use of it provided i really believed that i had been fed in company with several thousand others in the manner which has been described well sir how do you account for it if you had been a looker-on and had seen thousands of people all eating as much as they wanted and had watched the gathering up of baskets full of food that remained what would you have concluded before mr compton could reply felix masters interposed john my boy that question is too simple for compton he is a regular warrior in the matter of logic of course in this case the inevitable conclusion of a reasoning person would be that somebody for reasons best known to himself had taken the trouble to have prepared and secreted large quantities of food and had arranged to appear to use very little of it we have all heard of sleight-of-hand performances i saw a fellow the other evening take dozens of eggs out of his hair his whiskers even his eyebrows but i haven't the slightest idea that he really did so have you this time there was not only laughter but clapping of hands john brownlee turned and abruptly left the room poor john said his mother restraining her laughter he is very nervous since his illness a little matter excites him 
and his imagination has been wrought upon by these absurd stories, until really he does not know what to think. I wish very much we could persuade him to go away for a while, where he would not hear any of these follies. I think when one has been through such an experience as his, one's nerves remain unstrung for a long time. Mr. Masters promptly agreed with her, and added that stories such as the public were now being fed upon did harm in many ways. The originator of them ought, by all means, to be taken in hand by the authorities and suppressed. Miriam Brownlee's laugh was as silvery as it had been in days gone by. It floated out now, and was followed by these words. I cannot understand why you gentlemen should be so solemn over it. Of course there are some things offensive to good taste. The gatherings in the streets are horrid, and ought not to be permitted. But when they simply go off by themselves, for an extraordinary picnic, what harm can it do? I have not been so amused in a long time, as I have been over the various accounts of this affair. Why can't we all take the fun there is in it, and let it go? End of chapter 17